Hey, welcome to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Ooh, prayer. Now let's take an honest opinion poll. How many of you are happy with your prayer life? There you go. Oh, a couple. There we go. Excellent. It, prayer is just one of these things we struggle with as Christians. Yes? 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 I know I do. I know I certainly do. There is a million and one distractions in my life. We have technology that phones that ding and bing and do everything at all hours of the day with people trying to distract us. It is hard to sit and actually focus and pray. And I think one of the things that I find challenging is I read these stories of great heroes of the faith and see their prayer lives and, in a sense, almost feel guilty and challenged. Um, The great Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, he once said, he goes, I have so much to do, I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Man, what a commitment. Makes me feel terribly shameful. John Wesley, he was known to rise up at 4 a.m. every morning to pray for four hours. And later on in his life, he would spend up to eight hours. And there's a story of Wesley. He was out at dinner one night and he got to about nine o'clock and he said to his host, oh, I have to go home. I have an appointment in the morning. And his host said, oh, what time is your appointment? He says, 4 a.m., the host says, 4 a.m., who are you meeting for an appointment at 4 a.m.? He says, I am meeting with God at 4 a.m. Now, isn't that deeply, deeply challenging? I'm up at 4 a.m. because my two precious little angels have woken up out of bed and, you know, want to play. It's, I find it tough. I find prayer challenging at times. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Friends, how do we do that? How do we pray without ceasing? How do we reframe our prayer lives? Um, the Anglican scholar Graham Goldsworth, he's actually an Aussie, he, he said something that helped me a lot with prayer because I'd read these stories and just feel guilty. as like, I can't measure up to these heroes of the faith. And he says here, this is it's a long quote, and if you're doing the small group study, you'll, you'll read this quote in your study this week. It says here, Most of us will have heard sermons, conventions, talks, or Bible studies that seem to imply or focus on our defective practices of prayer, including how undisciplined we are, how lazy, and how lacking in resolve. The effect is to make us feel both guilt and discouragement. A terrible legalism seems to surround the subject of prayer. We are cajoled with examples of the great saints like Luther or Spurgeon, it is said regarded two hours a day in prayer as the norm. But legalism and emotional blackmail are not the way. And it would be easy for me to stand here and say, get up at 4 a.m. and pray or you're a terrible Christian. Wouldn't it? The old Christian guilt, it's really, really easy to draw upon. But I actually want to approach today with a relationship. Now, for those of you who are married, yeah, put your hand up. Put your hand up if you're married. Those who are parents, put your hand up. Those who have friends, put your hands up. Those who just know people, put your hands up. Okay, every one of us are humans. 
And we are in relationships, yes? Now think of your, your spouse, your child, your best friend, or your coworker who you're close with. When you want to just have a relationship with them, what's the basis of speaking to them? Is it guilt? What is it? Love. Now, isn't that a better way to look at prayer? It's actually love. Now, if you're approaching God with a sense of love and not guilt, isn't that going to be better? Think of the times where you hang out with your friends and you just chat. And it seems like a second's passing. Wow, we've been talking for like three hours. We think of it that way. Perhaps that is how Luther and Spurgeon and Wesley and all those great men of faith were able to pray so long. It wasn't so much out of guilt and duty. It was driven from love. And when you love someone, time just seems to just slip away. When you have so much to share about and chat about, isn't that just a wonderful thing to do? Wouldn't that be a better way to approach our prayer life with God out of deep love and this longing for a relationship than out of guilt and duty. Luther, he, was, he had a friend called Peter the Barber. Now, I don't know much about Peter the Barber, but he wrote this little track and it's called A Simple Way to Pray for Master Peter the Barber. And I've again put this quote in this week's um, small group study. And Luther said it at the beginning of this tract, he says, It's a good thing to let prayer be the first business of the morning and the last at night. Guard yourself carefully against those false, deluding ideas which tell you, Wait a little while, I'll pray in an hour. First I must attend to this or that. Such thoughts get you away from prayer and into other affairs, which so hold your attention and involve you that nothing comes of prayer for that day. And Luther created this really simple system, so to speak. He said to Peter, he says, hey, when, when you get the Lord's Prayer, break it up. And we all know the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says, when you get to each of those sections, get to the hallowing and use that as a basis to draw your prayers on hallowing God. When you get to the prayer about your kingdom come, your will be done, pray for God's kingdom. Use that as a basis to shape your prayers, and etc. and so forth, as you get along the prayer. And he says, and if you have time, use the same for the Ten Commandments. As you go through each commandment, use that as a basis to shoot off prayers. Use that as a template to help guide you. Now, while it isn't the prayer that Luther was referring to, Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, it's a lot shorter, but it has a really unique parable with it. And Murray's wonderfully read it out for us, but I like to read Scripture. So let's read out Luke 11, 1 to 13 again. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves, 
For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And I will answer for, and he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give you anything because he is your friend. Yet because of his impudence, he'll rise up and give you whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if he... If his son asks him for fish, instead of fish gives him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? And so the the basis for the prayer is simple. The disciples just want to know, hey, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus does something here. Even, even though this prayer in Luke is quite condensed to what we're used to in Luke, it packs a whopping amount of theology. And so Jesus starts off, Father, hallowed be your name. It's a bit of old English there. Hallowed, sanctify, make holy your name. Now here's a question for us. Who makes God's name holy? People or God? Who does it? Is it people or God? Don't be shy. You like the answer. I don't bite. God. Okay. Now, that's important. Now, here's a little fun, nerdy fact. There's only a few references in Scripture of God hallowing His own name. And one of them comes from Ezekiel chapter 36. From verse 23, it's in this context of Israel coming back. And it says here, and I'll just read here, from the beginning, uh, hang on, yep. 23, it says here, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. And then he goes on and says something interesting. This is verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities and from your idols. Now, what does Jesus say at the end of this bracket of prayer? You know, about giving good gifts. What's the good gift God gives us as children? At the very end of verse 13, what's that good gift? Holy Spirit. Okay, this is interesting. What Jesus is doing, he is framing this prayer and this description of it about the Holy Spirit's coming. And if you're a Jew, the Holy Spirit's coming is about the end days. It's about Jesus' return. When the Spirit comes, the Spirit comes and purifies this planet. Takes away sin, takes away evil, takes away suffering. So in fact, Jesus begins here, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. He's saying, let the end days come. Let God's people be transformed. Let your Holy Spirit rain down upon us. But until that time happens, we have to live in the here and now. Give us each day our daily bread. 
And for good Jews, you would think back to Proverbs 30, verse 8 to 9, which says, don't give me poverty or riches, just give me my daily bread. Give me enough for sustenance. Just give me enough to live day by day. And then Jesus here ties in here, forgive us our sins. We ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. It's key here. Key part of the Holy Spirit's coming is there's forgiveness of sins. As God has forgiven our sins, we need to forgive each other of their sins. Brothers and sisters can't hold sins against us. And finally, it says, lead us not into temptation. It's not much that God brings a temptation down on us, that God's the one who causes it. It's about us avoiding it, not getting into situations where we can be tempted. That's sort of the basis of the prayer. And then he gives us this parable. Now, for us as Western individualistic uh, individualistic society, this parable seems quite rude to us. Imagine if a friend came to us at midnight going, hey, I need three loaves of bread. He'd be like, oi, get away. I think we identify the man asleep, don't we? Murray, is he having a... I can see you nodding. Yes, imagine having George asleep and then you get this, oi, Murray. I need some bread, man. Come on, come on, feed up. We'd be like, we take the side of the family who's asleep, don't we? But we're actually meant to take the side of the one asking. So in a society like in Jesus' day in first century Palestine, everyone knew everyone's business. And so what you do is you'd cook your bread, and as a community, you would share it. And about three loaves is about, on average, what you cook a day. And you would know what your neighbour had. And unlike us, where he he makes excuses, oh, my children are in bed, the door is shut. They're lame. Those those don't matter. What matters is hospitality, is showing honour to a guest who has arrived. Now, in parables, sort of identifying which characters God and Jesus can be a bit blurred, but we're meant to take on the, the person who is the friend knocking at the door. And the point Jesus is making that, even though this friend, and it's important that Jesus mentions here a friend, which of you has a friend will go to him. Friends stick out for friends. Doesn't matter what time of day, doesn't matter what circumstances, honor in ancient societies determined that you would help someone else, especially if that friend had a guest coming. So the guy who's asleep, he is a terrible, terrible friend. That's the point. So for Jesus' listeners, they go, wow, what a terrible friend that he's not going to get up and help out another friend who, who desperately needs bread to, to honor the hospitality of Middle Eastern culture. And Jesus' point is that even though this is a terrible friend, yet because of his impudence, and depending on your Bible translation, it's a very hard word to translate, shameless, audacity, or something like that, is that he will do it. Okay? Jesus' point is that even if you have a terrible friend who doesn't want to honour what's bound in an honour-shame society, and he'll still do it, still give the three loaves of bread. How much more is God going to do that? In one sense, he is saying that, that that language of father, it's this close, intimate relationship, but also it's this sovereign, divine being. 
God is God, His, His holiness, it outshines us. But at the same time, too, He wants us to come with His request. We are like that friend at midnight knocking on the door. I need three loaves of bread now. And if a useless, terrible friend who makes excuse can still do that, how much more is God going to do that? That's why Jesus tells you, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive, and the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, the temptation is to read that and just think, whatever needs I have in this world, God is going to do that. It's not just uh, saying that you can just pray for whatever you want and God's going to magically give it to you. It's framed in with what we've got here, the Lord's Prayer. Hallowing God's name, kingdom coming, forgiving sins, daily bread, and also the coming of the Holy Spirit. But part of that too is, is that Jesus is presenting us this image of God who wants us to come with everything. We are to just pour out our hearts before him. There's nothing too big and there's nothing too little. And Jesus continues this metaphor along with this parable. He says, what, what, what father among you, if his son asks him for fish, will instead of fish give him a serpent? That well, no father would do that. What type of useless dad would do that? Give give their kids something poisonous. Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Like, well, of course not. No way. No, no, no father's gonna do that. That's ridiculous. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And that's the framing of this, the giving of the Holy Spirit. That is the ultimate gift. For with the arrival of the Spirit, that's the promise, the last days will come. Evil and suffering will be removed. So in one sense, you can look at it this way, is that we have this promise that life's going to be perfect. Life's going to be good one day. There'll be no more Russian armies invading Ukrainian cities. There'll be no more sickness, sin, and disease. But until that time, we are still living here on this side of the line. We're going to have to keep asking for daily bread. We're going to have to keep asking for forgiveness. And we're going to have to keep forgiving our brothers and sisters. We're going to have to keep wrestling with temptation. So that means we're going to need to pour our hearts out to God. We're going to have to keep on knocking and knocking and knocking. And that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if it's midnight, 9 o'clock, 12 p.m., doesn't matter the hour, doesn't matter the time. That is what God wants us to do. As I said earlier, we, all of us are in relationships. We have our spouses, parents, grandparents, we're friends. All of us communicate with human beings and we do that out of love. That's what I see here. It's part of this Lord's Prayer. It's out of love. It's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to pray to God out of this deep sense of love. He is our Father. He's the one who cares for us. He's like a parent. He's like a teacher. But also, He is holy. 
yet He is not so holy, He is distant from us. So imagine if you had a marriage that was just bound, you, you only communicate out of guilt, a sense of duty. It's going to be a pretty terrible marriage. How many parents out there, if you feel like you have to talk to your kids, you've got this duty or responsibility, it's not going to work. What about friends, if you're like, oh, I have to message them because I have this guilt or duty. No, it's not a real friendship. It's the exact same way with God. And friends say, I've been giving challenges the last few weeks. The challenge today is, I'm actually not going to give one. Say, if you feel like Wesley and Luther and you want to get up at 4 a.m., man, you do that. If you feel connected to God by doing that, I encourage you to do that. And God bless you in your endeavors. If you want to pray from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m., and that, that is something that is fantastic. If you feel like you can only give up one hour a day, then God bless you in that. If that's how you feel connected with God, if it's only 30 minutes a day, then you go and do that. Or perhaps you're more like me, that life can just be chaotic, where you've got small children, those who've got small kids, you know this, that there's, you want to have this magical hour to get up, man, mine's, mine's gone now, my kids pick all hours of the night to get up. Just do it through chunks in the day. In fact, that's actually how the Jews used to pray, which really resonates with me. Sure, Jesus got up early and prayed, and we know this, but for them, walking with the Lord meant just praying constantly throughout the day, kind of what, what the Apostle Paul was talking about. You didn't segment your life into, I pray in the morning and pray at night. You just pray throughout everything you were doing. And if that's how you feel connected with God, then you do that. The point of this morning is invest in this relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's a better relationship than any human being is going to give you. And like all relationships, there's going to be barriers to communication. We have personal sin. We have temptations and distractions which, which take us away from that. Obviously, there's spiritual warfare and tiredness. But, but what I love about Luther and his little letter to, to Peter the barber is just take Scripture. Take something simple. Take the Lord's Prayer. Use it as a basis for your prayers. Take the Ten Commandments and use that. Use your favorite scriptures. But I think to as a people of God, and this is what Jesus is the model he gave us. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.